You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins is here as well on the board. And Joe, we are riding as a duo this week because Mike Chappell is down at Lucas Oil Stadium. He is hunkered down, set up his tent. Uh, he's camping out and singing Kumbaya down there because there's a whole heck of a lot to talk about down at Lucas Oil Stadium with the NFL Combine in town. I know the Combine is your baby. You love oh, yeah. this. You, you would dive into this. You would join Mike right there. You'd snuggle up right next to him in a sleeping bag. But nevertheless, <laughs> he, he's down there doing a whole lot of work, providing content for Fox 59, CBS4.com, both of them, cbs 4 Indy.com, excuse me, but uh, it's a rather significant week for the city of Indianapolis and for the NFL as a whole right here. Yeah, I mean, I've had a smile on my face all week, really, because this is going on, and I actually got the opportunity to go with Mike on Tuesday, and I just, you know, the whole time just tried not, this is my first really opportunity going to something like this, try to geek out not the whole time. Of course. Um, you know, I could have, I could have, Gave a wet willy to every coach in the league, but I refrained myself. I think they would have kicked me out before I got to coach number two. Likely, <laughs> yes. Uh, you would not have gotten far. But um, a, a significant step for the Colts this week as well down at the Combine. Both GM Chris Ballard and head coach Frank Reich were made available to the media. And heck, also Jim Ursay talked earlier this week. It was a little bit of a surprise for us. Um, it's not... Not every day, you know, that the owner just says, "Hey, we're gonna have an availability on this day." So, so come by the uh, come by the uh, the complex and and chat. So we'll talk a little bit about him specifically. We'll give you those full interviews with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich later on. But uh, first, we'll break down a couple things that have been happening this week in Colts world in the NFL world, and the, the most significant development for Horseshoe Nation right now is what Chris Ballard basically opened up saying. Well. Uh, with with a little prodding, saying that Anthony Costanzo intends to play in 2020, uh, entering his 10th year in the NFL. He was considering retirement for personal reasons. Uh, Ballard said it is right now a year-to-year deal with Costanzo's return, and that's something that, that jumped off the page to me. First of all, hey, A, awesome that he's back. Great for the Colts that he's back. People who don't like Anthony Costanzo do not know football. I've, I've said that over and over on this show. And for some reason, there's a good number of those people. I don't understand them. But he is back for 2020, which is a significant help for your offensive line for the immediate future. But this did not sound, from what Chris Ballard said and what Frank Reich said, to be a long-term commitment. So, A, great for now. B, He's kind of kicking the can down the road again. This might be an issue that they still kind of need to address in some form or fashion. Which we kind of speculated on. You know, if he's considering it this offseason, you know, what's it's hard to say what personal reasons means. But if he's considering it now, he's probably going to consider it again next year. So long-term offensive tackles still need for the Indianapolis Colts. But him being back in 2020 doesn't make it you know, at the top of the list like it would have been if he was gone. Right. So we, we were speculating over the past couple of weeks that, hey, if Costanzo's saying I'm done, I'm retired, I'm gone. Well, A, there's no one in-house that can that can adequately fill in and, uh, and live up to the expectations that you should have for a left tackle. It's just not. They're, you'd say, oh, let's move Braden Smith over. Well, that leaves a gap at right tackle. And Braden Smith was like a guard tackle tweener anyway i don't know if people you were wanna... surprised he was able to play right right tackle, exactly the left tackle is a different beast um and or and look, who was the backup the raven clark was his backup and he was active for i don't know how many games last year it was not a, not a lot he was inactive for most of the season last year so 
Um, you, you had Costanzo was option A, and there really was no option B at left tackle. So we were saying that, hey, if Costanzo's done, your first-round pick might all of a sudden become left tackle is your first priority, uh, even over a quarterback at 13, because maybe your quarterback isn't going to make it at 13, so you figure, hey, we can stay right there and get your left tackle. Now, or we would uh, say that maybe you get somebody in free agency. You know, we brought up a couple names that the Colts could be looking after if Anthony Costanzo was interested the in sh- retiring. Short-term guys. Exactly. Stop they were all, those were short-term uh, solutions, because franchise left tackles do not hit the open market. And Costanzo, now that he says he's coming back, does not make that your first priority anymore or your second priority. It is definitely, I would say, a priority because if Chris Ballard says, hey, this is a year-to-year thing with Costanzo, you need somebody in there who's not year-to-year. You know, yeah. you need somebody who is a legitimate backup. And LaRaven Clark has stepped in. He's done okay at times, but okay at times is not what you want your left tackle to be. Well, and he needs to be resigned as well. Exactly. Because his contract is up, and so is Costanzo. I mean, he's a free agent, so the Colts will have to agree on a deal. It'll probably be a you know, front-loaded deal where most of his money's up front, and then you know he can kind of take it year by year. Um, but this just gives the Colts more flexibility in the draft. Maybe they wait till the second round and take a more developmental player who, you know, might take a year to be a starting level left tackle, but they have that year now with Costanzo coming back. I mean, I know Frank Wright talked about, he was so excited to keep their starting five together again. Um, so it looks like offensive line will be a strength of the Indianapolis Colts for at least 2020. For sure. Uh, I, I would no doubt agree to that. They were a top five offensive line graded by pro football focus. And with all five starters coming back, you anticipate they're going to be the same again because Costanzo's the oldest one in the group as a 10-year veteran. Nobody's getting up to the 14, 15, 16, you know, year where obviously things start to trail down and uh, other guys are all young and they're 23 to 26. Uh, I think Lewinsky might be a little bit older than that, but this is this is still a young group that will continue to get even better, if you can believe that, uh, the more they work together and the more they play in the NFL. So good news for the Colts on the offensive line, good news for whoever is going to be the quarterback. You mentioned a possible second-round pick, obviously, at left tackle. I think that's a very reasonable expectation. Of course, the more you use those second-round picks, the less you can package and move up if you want a quarterback in the first round. You know, So, so these are all things that, of course, GM Chris Ballard has, um, I guess, uh, bouncing back and forth inside his brain, you know, how best to use the assets that you have. And that would be one way that you could say that it is a necessary uh, addition now to get somebody else as a backup left tackle, especially if you're not going to re-sign LaRaven Clark. You need somebody right now to be your backup left tackle. And if it's not going to be Clark, you're going to have to draft a guy. Um, I I doubt that it's going to be um Javon Patterson was a guy who got injured in the preseason last year that they drafted in the seventh round and I think he was an interior lineman center, anyway yeah, yeah. He was a center maybe a guard so um so yeah I mean like they could said, always sign maybe a guy to be a backup they could just in case injury happens they have a better plan in mind you're but, right um yeah long term they definitely need someone in in the trenches there. in the wings waiting in the wings that would be uh, exceptionally helpful so free agency impact means the Colts don't have to go out and spend uh, gobs of money on a starting left tackle. Draft impact, it means that you're probably not looking for that guy in the first round uh, unless somebody falls to you that you think is an incredible talent. I, I don't even think they would draft somebody if they thought he was an incredible talent in the first round because you, you have your entire five set 
And yeah. that, that would be just a waste of a draft pick in the first round. So let's just say they're likely, very likely, 99.9% likely not to draft a, a tackle in the first yeah. round. And what if Costanza does play another two more years? What, right. your 13th overall pick's just going to sit two right. years? No, no. So anyways, that's that's a uh, piece of news number one for the Colts this year, that Anthony Costanzo will play in 2020. I look forward to talking to Costanzo and just seeing what went into this decision. I'm sure he won't tell us what his personal reasons were. We'll sure. go into all of them. He might just say... He, he might give some vague answers, but nevertheless, I don't expect him to to bear his soul right now. And that, that's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to. Um, another piece of news this week is something that we talked a little bit about the week before, Joe. And uh, you were uh, you posed some questions about perhaps the Colts extending Marlon Mack. And Marlon Mack was something that owner Jim Ursay brought up in his press conference. He was not asked about Marlon Mack. Nobody mentioned Marlon Mack. But if you know Jim Ursay, he likes to talk, he likes to ramble on, and he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. I'll say that until I'm blue in the face. So he, he's allowed to talk as much as he wants. He's the owner of the team. But he kind of jumps from one topic to the next, and for some reason, Marlon Mack was on his mind. And he said, Marlon Mack, we love him, but we love the two other guys. Uh, we want him back, and he wants to be back, really. There were some misreports that we were pursuing an extension there. That's not the case. I don't know where those came from. That said, Jim Ursay this past Sunday about reports that the Colts were in talks with Marlon Mack on an extension. So I think that Im- immediately should give you pause that, okay, the Colts aren't trying to extend Marlon Mack right now. And honestly, that doesn't surprise me too much. They, they have other priorities right now. Like Jim said, they have, they have a good trio, a triumvirate, if you will, of running backs that they like. And it, that is not a priority right now entering this offseason. So I, I was initially surprised by the first reports that they were trying to sign Marlon Mack. Um, maybe surprised isn't the right word, but maybe uh, caught maybe caught a little off guard just because I thought that there were other things that should be a priority. But uh, nevertheless, Jim Irsay says no, Marlon Mack is not uh, getting an extension, at least for the immediate future. Yeah, and... Like you said, it just kind of makes sense. It was surprising to see them try and re-sign him so early. Um, he's a good running back. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's a great running back. And behind that offensive line, there's a lot of guys who can produce. I mean, we saw Williams have back-to-back 100-yard games. Yep. Um, so I would definitely try and make him prove it one more year. And you look around the league, there's a lot of teams who wish they can get out of their running back contracts right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, Marlon Mack's a good player. I'm not trying to dog on him at all. It's just the value of the running back position right now is in an unfortunate place for the players who play that position. Yeah. Um, and if you played in the NFL 20 years ago, that would have been completely different in, in the world of Thurman Thomas and Emmett Smith and Jerome Bettis. Uh, even Ladanian Tomlinson, but th- this is now 2020, where the running back is is not as valued as it was in the 90s and even the early 2000s. Um, it's kind of plug and play almost for some teams back there. A lot of teams that have won championships in recent years have just slotted guys in. You look at the Chiefs. I mean, two years ago they had Kareem Hunt was their star in the backfield, and then he's gone for uh, off-the-field reasons. They slide in a couple of other guys back there, like Damian Williams. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll see what he does. Offense and bam. doesn't miss a beat. Exactly. And, and who was the other team in the championship last year? It was, uh, it was the 49ers, and they paid big money to Jarek McKinnon, um, and, and, and he's not even playing he because he's hurt. Played so, and... Yeah, you, you see exactly how, how valuable these running backs are to the teams that make it all the way to the Super Bowl. They're, they're, they just aren't as valuable as they were 20 years ago, and that's a fact. So 
Um, so to, to hear that the Colts are not trying to extend Marlon Mack right now, that is more understandable to me than they are trying to extend him. So Jim Irsay rebuffs those reports. Marlon Mack will probably have to wait another year, and then we'll see exactly what the Colts are willing to, to offer him as a running back who will no doubt want a raise, as he should get a raise after his rookie contract, but what kind of raise would be the question that uh, will be on, on Marlon's mind more so than anyone else and Colts Nations as well. And that could be a situation where, kind of like Pierre Desir a couple years ago, where they let him test the free agent market, he sees what he can get, and if no one's you know giving him the big bucks like he wanted, maybe just comes back to the Colts and go, okay, I'll, I'll take what I can get here. Um, yeah. I kind of like the idea of maybe drafting a guy in the mid-rounds and see what he can do. And mm-hmm. if if he's talented and you're comfortable with him, you let Marlon go and plug the next guy in like we've talked about so many teams doing. Um, but we'll just have to see. That's a, that's a problem for 2021. Yep. yep, 2021 at least. So um, another news this week around the NFL, the NFL Players Association reps. That's one from each team. For those of you who don't know back home, one player from each team is each team's representative to the uh, NFLPA. Those reps voted to send the proposed collective bargaining agreement uh, from the owners to the players. So this is the last year of the current CBA. It will expire after the 2020 season. They are in need of a new one for the 2021 year, and everyone's trying to get something done this year so that it's not a lame duck final year of the collective bargaining agreement. So the NFLPA reps, like I said, voted to send the proposed CBA to all players. And the vote to do that was 17 to 14. One player abstained from that vote. So it was a relatively narrow vote to send it to the players. And what it is, is a simple majority of about 2000 players in the CBA must accept the agreement for it to go into effect this year. And I thought that was interesting. I'm going to read this tweet from uh, Tom Pelissario of the NFL Network. He says, a primary reason NFL players are now expected to ratify the proposed CBA is nearly 60% of the league makes the minimum base salary. So we talk about all these guys having extensions, you know, like Marlon Mack and Anthony Costanzo, and those, those are actually the outliers in terms of looking at the entire NFL as a whole. They receive most information because the stars all most uh, attention because the stars always do. But like I said here, nearly 60% of the league makes the minimum base salary. And that minimum base salary under this new CBA would spike immediately by more than 20%. Joe, would you like a 20% raise next year? I sure would. I would like a 20% raise next year as well. And it would eclipse $1 million for all players by 2029. So at the end of this decade, uh, I think it's a 250000 About a quarter million is the minimum salary right now. I think it's maybe, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm talking without knowledge. I shouldn't be doing I'm like that. that. I think yeah. it's around five hundred for the whole year. I think it's around yeah, 500000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm Maybe I was thinking of the last CBI that was stuck in my head for some reason. So um, let's see. Quick yeah. Google search says four hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. Yeah, ignore me as as would be best for all of you at most of the time. So um, no word exactly when that vote's going to happen by the players, uh, but. Uh, Some more things about this CBA also calls for a 17-game regular season. It allows for more roster spots. Teams can promote two players, I believe what it is, from the practice squad to the regular roster. So the regular roster is set at 53, but for games you can bump it up to 55 um, with two players from the practice squad. And there will still be inactive lists um, like they always do now, hour and a half before the game, announce exactly who is going to be on that inactive list. So more 
roster flexibility for teams um, with that change. A shortened preseason, higher percentage of revenue goes to the players, slightly higher percentage, like we said last year. It was like 1% or 1.5%, whereas kind of uh, about where it's going to be. Upgraded pensions for former players. Um, Owners also agreed, excuse me, to eliminate the $250,000 cap on earnings for players when they get an extra game check for a 17-game season. So that would be nice, too, for players to get a Yeah, go ahead. Which I feel like was a big hang-up. I mean, for these the stars of the league or anyone on a second contract, playing that Week 17 game for $250,000 would be nothing. Completely. Compared to what they get paid the rest of the year for their game checks. So I feel like that was a big hang-up, and now that that's out of the way... You know, this deal looks a lot more reasonable. There were a lot of players who have uh, voiced their own opinions on uh, the CBA on Twitter, for sure, who have been uh, not not so pleased with uh, with some of what's going on. So you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers, uh, Marquise Pouncey was uh, it's uh, not safe for work Twitter post. So if um, if you have some headphones there, you you might be able to listen to Marquise. Didn't look with his safe thoughts. in general. He was driving and <laughs> recording <laughs> no himself shirt on. at yeah, the same exactly. time. Yeah, exactly, dude. That that's got to be illegal. <laughs> crying out loud in Pennsylvania. Gee whiz. But um, but anyway, that's at least something that's taking steps forward right now. And and as uh, Tom Pelissario, like I mentioned, uh, point, points out, um, more than 60% of the league could see a 20% increase in salary with this. So, And this is just a simple majority of 2,000 players must accept the agreement. So, I mean, if you can get whatever it is, 58 57% of the players who make this salary – if you can convince them to not vote for a 20% pay raise for themselves, they, good, good luck. Like, good luck. So um, that, that's an easy way for, for the owners to get by some things that they need that maybe some of the veteran players uh, are more hemming and hawing about with an extra game to the season um, is to give something that is a significant pay bump to the cheapest people who are the largest number in this group. So... Um, so we'll see what happens there. We will see. Yeah, they haven't really put a date on when they're going to have the vote. Exactly. Um, so we don't know when this will happen. But, I mean, I, I get it. The star players have more leverage, so they feel like they could have got more out of it. And the players who know they're only going to be in the league for a few years, most likely, are going to try and take their money while they can. As they should. Yeah. The NFL stands for not for long. The The average player plays for maybe two or three years, and that's it in the NFL. So if you can get 20% more in those two years, more power to you. 20% more than half a million dollars? Sure. Yeah, exactly. When it's, when it's that much, 20% is a significant, significant sum. So, so there's that. Uh, Also, the time's coming where NFL teams are going to be able to franchise tag their players and uh, tears will be shedding across Colts Nation, at least according to Ian Rappaport. I know Joe is himself shedding them right now in in this office that the Kansas City Chiefs, according to Rappaport, plan to franchise tag their star defensive tackle, Chris Jones. And he's a guy that we have said in this office that Mike Chappell has said, hey, back up the Brinks truck for this guy because he is a stud young defensive tackle. It's obviously an area of need for the Colts. But it does not appear that he will be able to hit the market and the Colts won't even be able to talk to him and offer him anything, Joe. Yeah, he was just a guy who who checked all the boxes. I mean, youth, production, health, area of need. Um, I mean, I haven't really seen any off-field troubles from him. Kansas City from where Chris Ballard used to be. So it, it just made a lot of sense for the Colts. But 
it makes a lot of sense for Kansas City to want to bring him back as Com- well. Completely, completely. And if they have the money to do so, then more power to him because he's a guy that can anchor your defensive line for, for years to come if you want. So I'm sure they'll put the franchise tag on him and try to work out a long-term deal. We'll see if that long-term deal is able to be reached. But And if not, they're in a position maybe one more year they get another Super Bowl. Exactly, so. exactly. So. Um, and as long as Pat Mahomes is on that rookie contract, then you definitely have the money to franchise tag a defensive tackle for sure and yeah. to still do a little bit more work in the offseason as well. I want to point out one thing before moving on, just the difference between um, a solid report and uh, honestly uh, terrible reporting, which is not reporting at all. And this is something that maybe fans don't appreciate quite as much. I probably do because I'm in the media, but I'm going to rant on this for just a second. A, uh, a quality report is what you get from Ian Rappaport saying the Chiefs are going to franchise tag star defensive lineman Chris Jones, sources say. So he has a source that's telling him the Chiefs are going to franchise tag this guy. That, that is, that's concrete. You say this is going to happen. It's definite. There is no room for ambiguity. And that, that's what it should be. Here is a, uh, here is a, a junk uh, tweet, to be perfectly honest, from Jacina Anderson. My understanding is that the Giants and Colts are among teams that could potentially have some interest in impending uh, unrestricted free agent Javion Clowney, per sources. I'm going to break this down for you. (laughs) My understanding is where we start out with. So this is just what she thinks. That's not a concrete thing. she's, She's a reporter. She's been a reporter for a long time. So I think what she thinks should hold some merit. But it is not concrete. It's not really a report. It's a thought is that the Giants and Colts are among teams. So you just name two teams, and there, there could be however, there are five more, there could be 10 more, there could be 20 more. They're among teams, okay, that could potentially have some interest. Well, listen to those three words. They could, they could potentially have some interest in Jadavion Clowney, per sources. I could say this without saying anything yeah. like per sources at the end. This is not a report. So, so when you as a fan are looking at people who are reporting things on Twitter, just, just realize the difference between, between a good, solid report saying, hey, the Chiefs are going to franchise tag this guy. That's solid. They're, like I said, needs, leaves no room for ambiguity. And something like this. Like, don't, don't get your hopes up over a tweet like this, just where the Colts are thrown out there as one that could potentially be of many teams that might be possibly, perhaps, interested in Jadavion Clown. Yeah, obviously the Colts are one of 32 teams that could be that could potentially be interested in Jadavion Clown. So just just take things like that with a grain of salt and realize when you are reading things on Twitter what is a solid report and what is speculation. Yeah, I got that uh, an alert on my phone from Bleacher Report saying that, yep. and I was like, where is this coming from? I yep. opened it up. I just kind of laughed to myself. It almost reminds you of all the um, quote-unquote reporting on the Colts and Antonio Brown last year, where yeah. anyone who knew anything about the Colts know that was completely fictitious. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got to take it with a grain of salt, all this stuff, because now's the time of year where rumors are flying. I mean, I've seen... Very similar reports about, you know, rivers make a lot of sense for the Colts. Yeah, if you just look at team needs and where yeah. rivers might want to go, sure, it makes sense, but that's not a report on no. 
you know, a report would be Jadavion Clowney, like the Colts are preparing to offer Jadavion Clowney a five year contract per yes. sources. That would be a report. I'm not reporting that right now. That that's a report. You know that what 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 was tweeted is not a report. That is speculation, pure and simple. Absolutely. So, so just just look out for stuff. Exactly. Like that. So uh, that that is that is Dave's rant of the week, brought to you by Dave Griffiths. <laughs> we should make that a segment. Dave's rant of the week. I, I would love it. Rant and Dave, rant and rave. Uh, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, a little health update for one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, following two days of medical testing, this is again per Ian Rappaport of NFL.com. He's, he's one of the best in the he's business. He's solid, absolutely. Uh, Bama QB Tua Tungavailoa received overwhelmingly positive reports on his dislocated hip from teams who examined him, sources say. The MRIs were clean as hoped, fracture is healed, there is no loss of blood flow. So... Tremendous news for Tua, a guy who is the overwhelming choice to be the number one overall pick before this last year and before Joe Burrow went out and had perhaps the greatest season of college football quarterback has ever had in history. Um, but Tua, the, the more you hear about Tua, the more it seems like there's no way he slips past four or five. You know, there's just there's just no earthly way because the health was the only question about him right now with his hip. He's had things with his ankles. You know, he's had some work done on them over the past couple of years, but people already knew that before they were talking about him as the number one overall pick. So it was the hip that was a concern. It does not appear to be a concern from the reports we have seen. So if if you're a Colts fan and you want Tua, there's no way that you're getting him at 13. Zero percent chance. Oh, no, no. You know, and if the bad news, if the opposite happened and bad news come out, would you want to pick him at 13? It's kind of a double-edged sword there, totally. but... Um, you know, he says that he expects to be cleared to return to the field uh, March 9th, um, and he hopes to hold a pro day April 9th, just a couple weeks before the draft. So something that was not expected, people didn't think he'd be able to work out for teams before the draft. It looks like that's going to happen now. So, I mean, five is the absolute floor. It's yeah. kind of looking like Three, it could be three, exactly. Two, the saying. Redskins, I mean, I know they're doing their due diligence, but they're meeting with him and Burrow. So, you know, they, we've seen Arizona move on from Rosen after a year to take Kyler Murray. The Redskins, I think, legitimately could move on from Haskins to take Tua. And if he's not ready to play yet, they have Haskins for mm -hmm. that for that year. So it, it's going to be interesting, no doubt. And the Colts are going to have to look elsewhere for quarterback if they want to address that through the draft. I mean, you mentioned Tua's uh, plans for here at the at the combine not going to work out in front of teams. He was here for medical stuff, obviously, medical and to meet teams, of course, which is a, obviously a very large part of the combine. Um, his agent, Lee Steinberg, was actually here in the office just the other night. I did an interview with him. That's going to be on Friday night's uh, Friday night fast break show. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit from Lee Steinberg to his agent about what he's doing, there's some other things that he's doing, of course, in town this weekend as well. You can tune into Fox 59 on Friday night, 1035 for that interview. But um, two is just one of several stars, Joe, that are not going to participate in the combine. There's still a whole lot of talent, obviously, that's going to starting today, this Thursday afternoon, evening, four o'clock is when the drills start for the combine on field workouts. Uh, but several of the stars that you would certainly hope to see are not going to work out for various reasons. Yeah. And I mean, a couple of the players at the top just have nothing to prove. I mean, Chase Young's not going to work out because 
There's no need for him. Yeah, to. there's no, no need, need at all. For him you, to... you can only do something bad like for yourself. You can only lower your stock for exactly. Chase Young. Exactly. Am I disappointed? Sure. I wanted to see an athletic freak put up, yeah. you know, crazy numbers, but he has no reason to work out. Joe Burrow's not going to work out. He's going number one overall. And he said that this week. He cleared up any rumors that he might pull at Eli Manning. He said, I will play for the Bengals. I'm right. a ball player. I'm going to play for the team that picks me. I want to mm-hmm. go number one overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then several LSU players aren't going to play, which, you know, they had a as long of a season as any team in college football. So that kind of makes sense. Um, they're going to, if you want to see their numbers, you're going to have to get them at their pro day. Uh, but that includes guys like Clavon Chason, who I highlighted last week, uh, tight end Thaddeus Moss, safety Grant Delpit. Um, another guy I was looking forward to seeing is uh, Javon Kinlaw. He won't be working out. He's one of my favorite players in this draft and a legitimate option for the Colts at 13. Um, he's successfully rehabbed knee tendonitis that caused him to cut short his senior bowl week. Um, the rehab you know, was his focus these last few weeks, so he hasn't really been training for the combine. And you know, a player of his stature there doesn't really have a lot to prove either. He's probably going top 15, very least top 20 regardless. And these are all guys that, of course, like you mentioned, can all work out later at their pro day. Yeah, uh, Teams can hold uh, specific workouts for these guys. They can bring them in. They could fly on to see them work out. So the combine is not the end-all be-all, though it is certainly an important time for a lot of these guys to, to show what they can do in front of everybody. But if if you have the eye of one or two specific teams, and Javon Kinlaw is a first-round defensive tackle, will have the eyes of many teams. It, it's not necessary that that he work out at the combine. Like you said, he's been rehabbing instead of like preparing for a, an event like this. So give him another month or two to actually prepare for stuff like this. And then he'll be fine in his pro day, and that's when teams that can really have an interest in him can check him out. And another thing I've kind of heard as I don't know, uh, added to this a little bit is agents are kind of weary of the new schedule. You know, the NFL has a new schedule. Workouts are now at night instead of the morning. So the way they've been preparing guys in the past is going to be completely different this year. So maybe some of the top-notch guys they just don't risk it with. And uh, we, we, there's another thing that we should note about quarterbacks. If you're interested in looking at quarterbacks for the Colts, and I can certainly understand why you would from uh, from this group that's going to be that is going to be working out, guys like Justin Herbert, guys like Jordan Love, uh, the two that will likely slip past five in the draft that maybe the Colts could trade up for and then grab if you don't want to give up a king's ransom to go into the top five or three to get Tua or Burrow. Um, what what is important, Joe, from from your perspective for quarterbacks at the combine? Because I mean, you dress up in in Under Armour and you go out and you throw some throw some routes to guys that you've never thrown to in your life, probably. So uh, it, there's there's room for a little bit of uh, a little bit of imperfection in a workout like this. It seems like the number one thing is hand size. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, it's stuff we don't get to see. It's the interviews. It's yeah. teams really getting a feel for who the person is. I know. Um, Ballard and Frank Wright kind of talked about really getting an understanding of a player's mental makeup, you know, running them through the board, running them through plays, and then asking them to regurgitate it just to see how quickly they can grasp things. Um, they only get, I believe, 18 minutes mm-hmm. to speak with these guys, so it's really not a ton of time. Um, but it's medicals, it's interviews, it's just seeing how the players carry themselves. Um, things like that. So unfortunately, in quarterback evaluation, the combine is really 
doesn't hold a lot of value. Mm-hmm. I'd say the one thing that I care about for the quarterback, if, if you want, if you want to pick out one thing from on-field workouts, it's like obviously not every college offense is like the NFL, like an NFL offense. I want to see how strong guys can throw the ball like a 15-yard out route or a 15-yard in route because that if you're if you drop back to pass, you've got to get that ball out quickly to that player and you've got to get it out to the outside fast or else in the NFL cornerback is going to cut through and he's going to pick that off. So I don't want to see any float on your ball that's the 15 yard out. I want to see it zipping to that guy. I want to hear it hit his hands when he is uh, tiptoeing on the sideline. So I, I just want to see some zip. I want to see arm strength. I want to see proof that you can throw the passes that you're going to be asked to throw in the NFL. And that'll be really big for quarterbacks who have arm strength question marks like George's Jake Fromm. I mean, that's one of the biggest drawbacks to his game is that he has questions with arm strength. So him get, going in there and showing that he does have an arm can you know, definitely raise his stock. Guys like Love, guys like Herbert, you know, they're going to put on the show in those kind of drills, or at least they're expected to because they've showed they've had rocket arms in college. Well, quarterbacks certainly just one of the many uh, types of players at the NFL Combine. They'll work out with wide receivers and tight ends tonight to kick off the on-field workouts. Uh, Chris Ballard called this draft special for wide receivers in particular during his time. You'll hear that from Chris in a little bit. First, Joe, we want to run down just a couple of non-quarterback offensive players that you have some interest in, and I'll throw in my thoughts uh, here and there as well. But but some top guys that, that you think could really stand out at, at a Combine setting or uh, would uh benefit uh, the Colts in the uh, long run so why don't you run down what you have for us here yeah this is a little bit of both um I got 10 players six receivers and four tight ends number one is Jerry Judy from Alabama I mean it, his route running is special his quickness his burst change of direction is special um, decent size 6'1 193 32 inch arms nine and a half inch hands and that hand size can be important for Wide receivers. I mean, some of the best receivers in the league, DeAndre Hopkins has huge 10-inch hands, and that really helps him, you know, snag it out of the air with one hand at, yep. you know, sometimes. Yep. So Jerry Judy, I think, is the top guy in this draft. Um, there is arguments about it because C.D. Lamb and some other players I'll talk to here are really good as well. There's a chance he could be there at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's really it, you really don't know because the, there's a bunch of really talented wide receivers. So it depends on what teams like in their wide receivers. This is a very schematic, like scheme oriented. How you want your wide receivers to to look, to run, to what their strengths are supposed to be. So you could see a, a group of top five guys and wide receivers. Who knows what NFL teams exactly want? They could order them all completely differently and all be completely right in how they order them just because they have different offenses. Exactly. It's kind of pick your flavor. What what kind of receiver do you want in this draft class has all different kinds? Um, if it, Judy isn't the first one taken, it might be C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Uh, he, he's a little different. He's kind of a more physical guy. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a better 50-50 ball type, jump ball type guy than Judy. Not quite as developed route running. Um, and he's not going to be as fast. He, he A good 40 time would for him would be the low 4.5s. Whereas Judy, I mean, he's going to be in the 4.4s if not 4.3s. Mm-hmm. So CeeDee Lamb, uh, almost six foot two, 198 pounds nine and a fourth inch hands he's he really reminds me of like an Anquan Bolden where he just goes up and gets it he's a dog after the catch and he's a player who you know 
Cardinals at eight need a receiver. If they don't go Judy, maybe they say, let's reunite CeeDee Lamb and Kyler Murray, who played together at Oklahoma. So that's a very uh, realistic possibility there. The guy I really can't wait to watch at the Combine is Henry Ruggs, who has a legitimate chance to break the record in the 40. Uh, he measured in at 5'11", 188, 30-inch arms, so he's not the longest guy. Um, Comparison-wise, I would say Tyreek Hill is a good comparison on the field. Um, but he might be even a little bit more developed as a route runner at this point than Hill was entering the league. Obviously, doesn't come with the off-field problems and 10 plus inch hands so he can really snag the ball joe loves hand. big hands i love those hands <laughs> um so he's a player who really i mean every defense will have to account for henry ruggs um because he can just take the top off at any time and he can also catch it take it the distance and you see in college if you watch his tape he'll run you over as well he's not one of those finesse small receivers who's going to be a problem going over the middle. He'll, he, he's, he's small and compact and jacked up. Uh, I love Henry Ruggs, and he has a chance to be the first receiver taken, too. And here's what I'll say about Ruggs and, uh, and just your, your comment on him willing to run over people. And that's one thing that people do not like T.Y. Hilton for. He'll get over the middle, he'll catch the ball, and he'll go down after getting the first down. But I'll say Marvin Harrison did that for like 15 years, and he's in the Hall of Fame now. So that that's a part A of what I'll say. That's not a what we're saying is not a shot at Ty for what he does on the field. And B, some people might complain. Oh, he's another. If Henry Ruggs is another small receiver, you can't pair him with Ty Hill. That, that, that's just a terrible idea. You, you need a big guy. You need a six-two guy. Jump up in the corner of the end zone, catch a pass, go over the middle, catch a ball, whatever. Would you take Tyreek Hill and Ty Hilton? Would Would you like that? on your on your offense would you like if those were your two wide receivers i think you would like that pretty well so it's not a matter of size it's a matter of talent if you think if you're the colts and you think henry ruggs is the most talented guy for you and for your system irregardless of his size pairing with ty hilton you go out and take him and dead gum it you make it work yeah and i mean he, he's still bigger than hilton is yes so. yes I, yeah Few people are smaller than hilton is to yeah, be perfectly that, honest I, I, love T, I love ty do not get me wrong but he, he is not a large man. That's a good point. And I see where these people are coming from. I mean, so long wide receiver cores have been kind of built like a basketball team. Mm-hmm. You got your point guard, your big man, and then your wing guy. Um, but we've really seen, I mean, look at the Chiefs. They don't have a lot of big receivers. The biggest one is Watkins, and he's like, what, six one? I think so, yeah. So uh, it really comes down to, like you said, talent over size. Um, if the Colts do elect to go for size, though, T. Higgins from Clemson is the guy. Um, six, three and a half, two sixteen, thirty four plus inch arms, um, average hand size, nine and a fourth, but uh, average, yeah, average hand size. Hand size. <laughs> but I mean, he, he's really, his one knock is he hasn't shown a ton of toughness going over the middle is what I've heard. But um, you watch him after the catch and he'll run people over. He's really good after the catch. He's a good jump ball player. Um, what you're hoping for when you draft T Higgins is an AJ Green type player. Someone uh, hopefully without the yearly ankle injuries. Yes, young AJ Green, right? Under twenty eight years old AJ Green, right? Um, the thing with Higgins you want to watch for is you want to see the speed, you want to see the burst. Um, three cone will be key for him. He, this combine teams are going to be looking to see if he can create separation at the next level because mm-hmm. at the next level, cornerbacks are bigger, they're faster, they know how to deal with you know, bigger wide receivers who in college can just kind of bully some guys. So when you're watching Higgins, really look for him to the speed, the quickness, put up good numbers in those kind of areas. 
I like T. Higgins too. Um, he was he was incredibly valuable for Clemson and in their run to the national championship. I watched. I think I watched the ACC championship from them. I watched the. Um, I didn't watch them all year, but I watched the ACC championship. I watched the first game of the college football playoff for them. And of course, I watched the championship game, and you you could tell like when he was off the field and he was yeah, hurt. Didn't that he that have offense, the yeah. head injury? Or? Yeah, they they missed him when he was off the field. Absolutely, sure. he's a big time player. Yeah. He's a playmaker. Another big time player who, if the Colts were able to get this guy at thirty four, I mean, he could be there. He should go earlier, but he could be there. Justin Jefferson from LSU is a special player. Um, put up big time numbers in you know LSU's offense this year, where Burrow put up sixty touchdowns. A um, little over six foot one, two hundred two pounds, long, thirty three inch arms, nine and eighth inch hands. He's another jump ball player who can really go up and get it. But the difference between him and Higgins is his route running is so precise. I mean, he can really spin players around. Um, he's one of the more pro-ready wide receivers in this draft right now who can come in and produce because of that route running, because of his hands. And, you know, you're talking about if you're a Colts fan and you want a wide receiver that the Colts can just run a fade route to and he'll go up and get it in the red zone, this is one of those guys. Mm -hmm. uh, was Jefferson the guy who caught like eight touchdowns in the first half? Uh, of that game for LSU. Yeah, he had four yeah. in that one yeah. game. I, yeah. I'm I, I'm obviously uh, being uh, facetious and overstating the fact, but <laughs> it, it seemed like every, every time that Burrow dropped pass, boom, Jefferson touchdown. So uh, I, I like Jefferson a lot too. Like 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 we've said, there's there's a ton of wide receiver talent here. It depends on where they're going to go. It depends on what different NFL teams like in their receivers. Um, and I, and I think all these guys have the potential to be to be solid pros. For the future and you have one more wide receiver that you want to get to before diving into the tight ends yeah the last guy on this list is brandon Ayuk. um i know you were excited to see him at the senior bowl i was and then he wasn't there and then he you know injury they decided to play it safe with him um Ooh. he was one of the players who when you say they won the way in say won the measurables he was one of those guys because he's not the biggest receiver, but so many times these programs list these guys two inches bigger than they were. Yep. I think he was just listed at like six foot. So if he came in 5'10", 5'9", that'd be a lot different story. But he came in 5'11 and a half, um, 205 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms. So even though he's not the tallest guy, he's got the long arms to go up and get it. Um, almost 10 inch hands, nine and three fourths. He's one of those guys who's got some developing to do as a route runner, but blazing speed. He can beat you deep. And he's, he reminds me of a more on Carolina where after he catches the ball, he turns into a running back. Mm -hmm. Um, and you see it, he, he's built thick. He'll run you over. He'll run around you. Um, he's, he's a player who, even though he's not the biggest guy, he, he plays bigger than his, you know, five eleven size. Like you said, for some of these guys, the most important thing, well, one of the most important things at the combine is, is the measurables, because when you're in college, there is a, uh, it is very flexible for what sports information directors will put, uh, online for you. Like, oh, let's give this guy, uh, you know, here, here, take this 10 pound weight while you stand on the, uh, on the, yeah. on the scale there. Oh, wait a second. Put, put, put your cleats on, get, get one or two more, uh. More pads there in your shoes. Oh, there he is. He, he's six one. Yeah, look at that. This guy. So, yeah, uh, that's that. Yeah. That is very commonplace. So when you go and there is uh, there is no mercy at the NFL Combine measurables and what uh, and and whatnot. So to see to see him nearly live up to six foot is pretty nice. Uh, see him over two hundred pounds is great. 
And those arms, you mentioned 33 and a half inch arms out of all these guys. That's that's the second longest, I think, group of arms only trailing T. Higgins, who's almost six, four. Exactly. Yeah. So and I mean, he has longer arms than six, one, Jerry Judy, six, one, C.D. Lamb, then six, one, Justin Jefferson. So um, so it's and and bigger and bigger hands, I think, than all those guys as well. You know, you love except uh, smaller hands than Henry Ruggs is the only one with bigger hands. So, I mean, uh, he, he had great great measurables and that's something that can shoot guys up draft boards and we've seen that chris ballard loves him some measurables especially on the defensive side with linebackers cornerbacks there's certain things that he wants people to have just because those have been positions that have kind of been the focus of the past couple of years so uh, absolutely i mean I, a, a yeah. prime example of you know fibbing a little bit on the measurables jefferson was listed at 6-3 at lsu comes in he's just about just over 6-1 not a big deal but not quite the big jump ball player you might thought it's he like was. Mm, okay okay yeah all right, but you know w- what he did on tape obviously is way more important than those for two sure. inches. For sure. Um, diving into the tight ends now, Cole Komet, um, arguably the number one tight end in this class, uh, just a large man, six five and three fourth, two hundred sixty two pounds, thirty three inch arms, ten and a half inch hands. Uh, he's an inline classic tight end. Um, who can block, he can get out and run routes. Uh, what's going to be really important for him is showing off the speed, showing off his quickness, three cone, um, the shuttle, movement ability, because the one question with him is he's a good player. Is he going to be one of those game changers at tight end? Is he that athletic that is going to be a mismatch weapon like a Kelsey or a Kittle? I, I know that Notre Dame had their mismatch weapon um, what what was their receiver's name? That's completely that I, I'm completely blanking on right now. But he caught like 14 touchdowns for for them this year. Um, so so he was their biggest weapon in the red zone, and um, you could always go to him. You can Ian Book went to him all the time, um, and could rely on him. So you didn't have to rely on Cole Komet in the red zone because you had this other guy. Is it Chase Claypool? Yeah, it's a Claypool was his name. There, um, there's talk that he's going to be transitioning to tight end as well. He put on like ten pounds since the Senior Bowl. He's up really? to two thirty eight now. So they're um, thinking about kind of moving him as one of those move tight ends, kind of like a Jordan Reed used to be yeah. for Washington. Yeah. It's kind of the prime when he example. wasn't when he wasn't out with a concussion. Yes, yeah, so two he, years he was, really he was good. healthy. Yes, exactly. Um, but you know, kind of that Eric Ebron role where you just use their athleticism as a mismatch and don't really ask him to block and play in line. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that Cole Komet has in him now that he's kind of out of the shadow of, of Claypool, I guess. Maybe he could take on a little bit more of that role. We'll see. And he can focus on football now too. I mean, he was, um, people were surprised he declared for the draft because he was originally going to come back. He was a reliever for Notre Dame and he, you know, had MLB aspirations, he decided to play football instead. So really focusing full-time on football could help him out as well. Another guy who's similar to Komet in that he's a big uh, inline player, Adam Troutman. Uh, I think I wrote down the wrong measurables. He's about six foot five. I have 6'2 here. I know that's incorrect. Oh, he's 6'5", 255, uh, 32 and 5-inch uh, arms, and then his hands, 9.5. Um, out of Dayton. I wrote down Washington here. What, what I, are you doing here? I did a little poor copying and pasting. <laughs> okay, I, I was putting this together real quick. Out of Dayton, he really put himself on the map with his Senior Bowl performance. Um, looked really good there. And you know Chris Bauer loves him some Senior Bowl stars. Oh, yeah, really does. And he just showed the ability to catch everything thrown to him, move really well. If he can put up some good numbers, you know, 
run a good 40, good three cone, good shuttle. He, he could really make himself into a round three player in this draft. Um, another, These last two guys are kind of those move tight ends we were talking about. Hunter Bryan out of Washington, 6'2 and 1'4", 248, 32-inch arms, 10 and 3 eighths inch hands I have written down here. Um, he does have some drops when you watch him, but he also has those plays where he takes it, cuts over the middle, and goes 70 yards. Um, he's a mismatch. Another mismatch is Harrison Bryant out of Fort Florida Ath- Atlantic. There you Excuse go. me. Third T- time's a charm. T- today, Junior. <laughs> That's right. Um, he's another one of those senior bowl guys. Six four and three fourths, two forty three, um, nine and a half inch hands. Not the longest arms though for his size. Only thirty inch arms, but you know, we'll, we'll let him get away with that as long as he produces on the field. He's mm-hmm. another one of those athletic tight ends who's really a good receiver. Don't ask him to block so much. Just let him do what he's good at. He could fill that Eric Ebron role as well. He's another guy, maybe third, fourth round, fifth at the very latest. But a good combine can get him into day two. The the Colts want to add weapons in this draft. I can report that, that the Colts (laughs) want to add some weapons. You know, when when Eric Ebron leaves, that's a role that you want to fill. If, um, If it turns out that... Devin Funches isn't coming back to the Colts. Who knows about that right now? Maybe they want to re-sign him, but that's a role that that you'll want to fill. Uh, Paris Campbell, uh, it does he rebound from a injury plagued first year? Perhaps, but you can't just say, "Oh, we got Paris Campbell in the wings. We, we're, we're good on playmakers on offense." Yeah, you, you, know? you can't count on him. You no hope. But. Yeah. So, and as as Chris Ballard uh, said uh, during his press conference at the. Uh, at the combine that this is a special receiver draft. Um, that that's the one group that he singled out. The, the, the question or what he was talking about was just, Hey, you can get guys at every level. Um, you, people ask every year, talk every year about strengths and weaknesses of, of each class and saying that you have to be able to get guys at every level. And he singled out the wide receivers without being prodded about wide receivers that, yeah, this is a special class for these guys. Yeah. Both at the top and deep. I mean, You've heard several reports from some of the top draft analysts like Daniel Jeremiah saying there's like 25 guys with a top, you know, three round grade and 25 wide receivers are not going to go in the top three rounds. So it'll be interesting to see if the Colts take a receiver high or if they go there. It's so deep. Let's take one later and address some other needs. You can get great value then in the fifth round with a guy who you have a third round grade on because, well, there's just an overabundance and teams aren't just going to draft wide receiver after wide receiver every team has needs like the Colts have needs it's not just receiver it's not just playmaker you need something on the d-line you need something on the offensive line um, you might need a quarterback uh, do you want to get a running back right now to uh, to back up to be more of a steady guy like Marlon Mack is do you want to add more to the secondary I mean the the, the possibilities are endless as they say right now and that's one part of the the excitement of this time of year for NFL fans. It's just uh, so much is unknown. Everything is potential. It's all about how great your team can possibly be looking into the future. And on that note, we will wrap things up for this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will send it straight out to the combine. You'll hear a little bit from first general manager Chris Ballard and then Colts head coach Frank Reich. Um, Just their thoughts about the offseason so far, uh, what they see among this class and their intentions at the combine. 
and uh, maybe a few other things mixed in there as well about their thoughts on what's going on right now with the horseshoe. So you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. And of course, for everything Mike Chappell is producing content wise of the combine, you can follow him at mchapel 51 as well. So we thank you so much for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Download, subscribe, get delivered to your podcast listening device every week. And without further ado, here is Colts General Manager Chris Ballard. How we doing? Feel like we just left this spot here after the com- I mean, after the season. Great to be back. Uh, just to reiterate, kind of what, not kind of what Jim talked about the other day about the combine. I mean, nobody does it better than Indy. He was dead on right. Um, everything we, what Jeff Foster and his staff do to put this event together, especially with all the changes that we've made, with the changes to football, with. You know, television, putting everything in the prime time, having to adjust the schedule. Jeff Foster and his staff have been unbelievable um, and had to, to jump through a bunch of hoops to be able to get this done this year. And it's going to continue to adjust, you know, as we go along and as we progress. So nobody does it better than Indy. Fortunate to have it here. Um, excited to be here. Um, anyway, fire away. Questions are your time here. All right, so yes, there is an update on Anthony. Uh, Anthony has informed me that he will play, you know, again, um, which, of course, brought a big old smile to my face. Um, so, yeah, we're, um, we're in the process of working on that right now. That's a good question. I don't... Look, we're going to stay the course of how we believe in team building. You know, things don't always go the way you want them to go. But, you know, we have a philosophy of how we're going to build it. We want to, we want to be able to acquire and young players and develop our own and develop them as Colts. Um, not saying that we won't enter into free agency because we have. Um, but it won't be our main source of player acquisition. You know, we'll continue to build this thing the way we see fit and the way we think, you know, you can win football games. Um, good. I mean, we talk about this every year, but I, I mean, I, I believe at every level of the draft, you can always find players. People are always going to pick it apart and say there's a strength and a weakness. Um, you know, do I think it's a special receiver draft? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of depth in the wide receiver position, but I think when you look and you dig, um, you're going to find, you know, somebody that can help your team at every level. It's, I mean, look, we are fortunate to have all five starters play 16 games. I mean, I know uh, that's not going to happen every year. That's why I always talk about the, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, and even 10, how all of them are important. But getting Anthony back and having the starting five, I know him and Quentin have built, built quite a relationship and continuity on the same side. I think all five guys have built a continuity because I think with the O line, I mean, it's not always about having the, you know, five best talent, but five guys that'll play together. Um, so no, it's a, it's a, it's big for us. Good. I mean, you know, we evaluate them every year and you don't, I mean, is there, I think I said this at the end of the year, it's, it's one of the hardest positions to play in sports. Just one from the transition from college football to the NFL, you know, what we're asking them to do, um, and then doing it against the best in the world, 
but then the expectations and the pressure and all the things that come along with playing quarterback. Um, but I think it's a good group. It's got good depth at all levels. Um, we all know that that position usually gets pushed up. Um, but I've, you know, I've talked about this before. I mean, you can't. You've got to be true to your evaluation. You know, you've got to be true to your evaluation. I think more mistakes are made when you push that position up, and then he doesn't. He doesn't deserve. And then all of a sudden, the expectations and everything else builds up on that kid. Bob, I, I see you. I see you. <laughs> He's been trying to spit that out for the last two minutes. <laughs> that's inter yeah, that's, a, that's really good because the game's evolving. And college football's evolved to where that game is coming into our league. You see it with the running quarterbacks and you see it with um, the RPO stuff. Um, but I still think accuracy number one I think mental aptitude and being able to to be a, I mean I don't think this is talked about enough but a fit with your offensive what you're trying to do schematically offensively is critically important um, but I've always said that they've got to have enough escapability enough feet and accuracy um, uh, those are things that you just can't you can't teach those. You can't, you can't, it's hard to get accuracy. Can you get a little better? Yes. Can you get it dramatically better? No. What's that? Let me, let me say this, because Jacoby has taken, I mean, it's, this thing's taken a life on its own, where it, we did a two-year deal with Jacoby to find out kind of, we like Jacoby Brissett, um, love what he stands for, and it was, it was a, almost a tale of, of two seasons with him we're five and two and he's playing good football he had the injury um and then we had injuries as a team and we kind of we kind of slid down um we did the short-term deal to see what we had to say we're going to create competition we're going to create competition at any at any spot i mean that's going to be a year-to-year thing i mean we even when andrew was our quarterback we still studied the quarterback position i just think it's important enough that it's it's a unique position. We know how hard they are to find, and you've got to go in depth each and every year um, for that spot. Well, I think that's I think that just goes into each and every every player is different. You know how they assimilate into the league, and I think not only the quarterback position, but you know other positions it takes it takes time and each guy's different some guys can step in day one Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson step in day one and boom you know they're they're good players um, Willis this year stepped in day one and was a good player but every player's different and I think the quarterback position I mean I don't have a I don't have a preference either way I think it's what can they handle what can they handle if they can handle the offense and the coordinator and Frank and them can put him in a position to succeed and we can win games, yeah, you play him. But if he's not ready to do that, then you wait. <laughs> no, I, I get it. <laughs> I think we had – I think it was similar last year too. I think you're starting to see it be a little more fluid. Um and usually it ends up bouncing back to, to its original form. Um, but look, it's the most coveted, it's the most coveted position in this league. Um, you've got to have good play at quarterback um, for sustained success. 
And, you know, I mean, that's just the nature of the league we're in. And it's always been that way. I think for a couple, I think I said this at the end of the year, for a couple games, I would tell you there were some things, you know, mechanically, um, and then he was compensating. But I think once it got on, I think it's almost more of a factor of the injuries at the wide receiver position, um, not having continuity with them. But I, I wouldn't put it on the injury. I mean, every, I mean, one thing about this league is everybody has some once, – once you open training camp, everybody's nicked and dinged. And, you know, they got to play through that and take care of their body. So I don't, I don't want to completely put it on the injury with Jacoby. Well, I mean, I mean, look, a little of it bad luck with Parrish this year. You know, every time we – I remember sitting in training camp, you know, and he has an unbelievable day of practice and then, you know, pulls the hamstring. And then it takes him, you know, into the season. Then he comes back and hurts a groin. Then he hurts a foot. And every time he kept making that push, something would set him back. I'll say this about Paris. He has not left the building since the end of the season. He has been there working – rehabbing and getting his body I think he understands uh what he has to do to try to get his body right for the grind of the season we think Parrish Campbell has a lot of upside I think we saw it I think in every I mean you you watch the Tennessee game down in the red zone and you know he scores a touchdown on a on a Dover route over the top for a touchdown I say I thought you saw it against Oakland now he had a fumble on the play but you know he catches a he catches a, uh, an option route and breaks two tackles and looks like he's going to go. And you saw it against Pittsburgh where I think he almost had 100 yards just on coaches getting the ball in his hands. Um, we like Parrish Campbell. We think he has a lot of upside. Well, look, I mean, so we do have players. We, I mean, look, T.Y. Hilton's a good player. Um, and we missed T.Y. Hilton last year. Jack Doyle's a good football player, and he's a good weapon. Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack, you start Wilkins. These are all good football players. Pascal, uh, Parrish Campbell. We're always going to be looking to add an explosive element. You can just look where I came from in Kansas City. It was a constant looking for ex in some type of explosive element. I don't think the coverage is bare. It's what everybody else does. Um, but that's always going to be something we're always looking for. Yeah, that'll be when his, he's still rehabbing. He's doing a great job. You know, Vinny now. Vinny works. Um, that'll be more see where the rehab is and see where he's at. Well, that was really unique, and I know Frank will talk about this this afternoon. So, look, Mike Grove's really special. Um, I, I was with him for three months in Chicago, but I saw the work he did with both Alshon Jeffrey and Brown and Marshall. So I saw that from afar. And then Frank worked with him in Philly, um, and they had a lot of success. They went and won a Super Bowl. So then when he became available, it just was a chance to add what we think is a pretty special coach and then put Kevin in a role because Kevin's really good too now. Kevin is uh, – he understands the passing game. He came from – he was in college football where he really, you know, got – you know, it was part of the OPR, RPO scheme. And uh, so us, our ability to expand – um, add to our offense. There's so much, Frank said this the other day, it was a great point. 
there's so much data now that we're evaluating. It's not, and there's so much, it, it gives our coaches um, more time. When you have more people, it gives them more time to, to work through that data and really be creative. Um, well, look, I have a great deal of respect for, for that organization. John Lynch is, I consider him a friend. Um, I mean, look, I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a secret. I mean, they were freaking good on the defensive line and up front, and they could run the crap out of the football. Um, so I, I give them a lot of credit, man. They, they were patient, and they continued to build it. And, you know, this year it all kind of came, uh, came to fruition. Andrew's retired. <laughs> first Andrew, that, this is unbelievable. We should have timed it. That was 12 minutes before the first Andrew Luck. This might be the, I don't know if it's the first time, but 12 minutes between the Andrew Luck question. That's good. He's doing good, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't, yeah. Phillips, Phillips a free agent. We, I'm not going to comment on those guys. One more time, because I, I didn't catch the first part of that. Okay, no, that's good. Well, look, I've learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot under Coach Reed. I mean, I learned a ton under Andy. Andy was brilliant, um, because Andy would work and do whatever whatever the quarterback could do well, he was going to do it. Well, Frank is very similar. So I've even, you know, from a, from a technique – what because he played the position for 14 years their mindset during the week on game day um, what they need to have in terms of a mindset to be successful not only from a starter level from a backup level and then from a developmental level um, Frank's Frank's got a good handle on what he wants um, and you know how he wants the position to play and he's flexible you know within it I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it hurt the guys at the top. I mean, it, when a when when you got a chance to take an elite talent, and if you evaluate him as an elite talent, he's still going to go high in the draft. But your your assessment is right in terms of the depth um, in this draft. There is tremendous depth at wide receiver in this draft. Yeah, I mean, look, I. And our defensive line didn't play. I mean, they played good last year. It wasn't bad, but I'm always going to be obsessed with the front. I mean, I, I just believe that that's how, that's how you win and have sustained success over time. Um, I, I believe in building from inside out. I've said that from the day I walked in this door, um, and that philosophy won't change. So you're going to ask me a question now. You don't want me to comment, but you're going to ask it. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about Brady. Great career, though. Yep. I think, and I said this at the end of the year that we still need more. 
You know, we still got to find out more. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I mean, unfortunately for quarterbacks, even though it might not be all their fault, when you go seven and nine and don't accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish, you're going to get, you're going to shoulder a lot of the blame. No different than the head coach and the general manager. Um, and you might not be able to control everything, but that's just the nature of what we do. I had a long talk with Jacoby about that, about, hey, look, it's just the nature of the position and, and what we do. Who, you got a... Well, he's very, look, he's very talented. Um, and he had a heck of a, a season in, in 2018, um, you know, under, under Coach Wells, who's now at Texas Tech. Uh, I mean, look, from what I remember, I mean, I'm thinking back, but Matt Ryan, when Matt Ryan was coming out of Boston College, I want to say through 1920. Um, so you've got to break down each one of those interceptions and, and why, why did they happen? It's not always on the quarterback. I'm not saying that's the case in this situation, um, but we got to break all those down and figure out where we're at. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Okay. Um, interesting. Walking over here with, with Matt Conte just saying, you know, 2020 NFL Combine is crazy considering I came in the league in 85, so 35 years, and just was telling Matt how exciting it is, you know, how exciting it is to be working in this league. It just get, keeps getting better and better, more exciting game gets better, players get better, more fan involvement, more media. Um, it's all for the betterment of the game. So privileged to be working uh, in this league and also a privilege to be more specifically working for the Colts. Um, great ownership. Absolutely love meeting with Mr. Ursay all the time. He's hyper competitive, wants championships, knows what it takes. And then, um, you know, working with Chris is, is unbelievable. Amazing coaching staff, three best coordinators in the league, and then ultimately it's about the players, and that's what that's what brings us to the combine. It's interesting to me as I thought back, you know, been here three, uh, two years, Chris here three years. So as Chris started building this thing three years ago, you know how we do it. We build it from the inside out. We build it in the draft. We re-sign our own. We're very selective in free agency. And we're very excited about where we are right now. There's been three really good drafts. We're building a core of players, very distinct kind of player we want, talent and personality-wise. And I uh, feel like we're very excited to be back at this point again to make this team better, get new flux of talent, make it competitive, and let's go to work uh, here for this coming season. There was, I went to a combine in 85. There was multiple combines. Uh, I went to Arizona State and did the vertical jump on the grass on a field. So a little different back then. Yeah, that's good news, isn't it? Well, I was just joking with uh, Kevin and Joe that uh, the, the pressure of, you, you know, it's 16 games that our offensive line starting five started. I wouldn't want to be the guy to stop that streak saying that I was just going to retire. So I'm wondering if uh, it'll be interesting when you guys get a chance to talk to him, how much pressure did he get from those other four? But I think he had his best year of his career last year. And I'm very excited to have him back.
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I heard Chris screaming and yelling from the office next door. Um, yeah, no, that was such good news for us. I mean, at that position, I don't take it for granted. Every week when we're protection game plan, you guys know I've said this before, you know, as a, as a, as a offensive play caller and game planner, you got to think, how, I don't have to worry about chip helping Anthony Costanzo. He can handle whoever it is over there one-on-one. I can't even begin to explain what a huge advantage that is schematically in the pass game not to have to help protect him all the time. So good we have him back. I don't know if you can It's a low percentage of the time, and as we know, and then so the, what you're afforded is boom. You now you got that back out, puts more pressure on the defense. So he gets very little help. He tells me that all the time. <laughs> he lets me know, but he'll be compensated accordingly. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah, not during the season. I mean, now, of course, I'm watching all their tape, uh, you know, last several weeks. I, you know, obviously, I focus all both sides of the ball, but mostly on offense. So I've been watching, started with receivers, watch as many of those as I can, then get to the quarterbacks. Justin certainly has had a good career. His tape is exciting. He does a lot of good things. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, we talk about, hey, we come to the combine, we get more players to get more competitive. You know, this was free agency. Mike Groh became available. You know, Mike and I were on a team that went to the Super Bowl together. I was the offensive coordinator. Mike was the primary guy who was helping me. And uh, Mike's one of the best receiver coaches in the NFL, period. And I saw that firsthand. Uh, I'm really excited that he's here. And it really worked out well because it fits Kevin you know, Kevin Petula's mixed because Kevin has been a lot of a quarterback coach, so he, he has a great relationship with Nick and the game planning side, has good college experience in the RPO world. So we now we move him into a pass game specialist kind of role, gives us one more, more man hours to game plan and be creative and stay ahead of defenses. Um, you know, I think it was a similar uh, similar mentality. You know, you got to build it inside out. You, you got to be good up front on, on both sides of the ball. Frank, we asked this a million times in December, um, but you wanted to take some time after the season and watch the tape. What's your evaluation of the quarterback spot right now? And personally, how do you think that will play out in the team line in terms of what you guys are programming? Yeah, that's a dangerous question to ask. Not, <laughs> not just at the quarterback position, because, you know, as coaches, we're critical during the season. You know, we're always critical of ourselves. We're critical of our players because you got to get better. You got to win, and then. But then, when you have a lot of time, to, you know, you don't have to get ready for. In the season, you got the next opponent. You got to get ready for, so you can't hang on it too long. Well, now when we go back and watch all the tape of all the films, we're hypercritical of every player, of every coach, of every play. That was a bad play. I mean, I'm sitting in there with Nick, and I said that was a bad call I made, or I don't know why we had that play in the game plan, or. What's that player doing there? Why did we mess that up? Why didn't we make that throw? How did we miss that block? It all gets evaluated, and not for the purpose of tearing down, but to get better. So I just had a conversation the other day with Jacoby, just to just check in, I like to check in with the guys, checked in with Jacoby, and um, you know, you talk about those things. I, I love the culture we've created in our building where guys want to get better. They know it's competitive. Um, I think Jacoby did a lot of really good things in unusual circumstances. And um, so just looking forward to him continuing to get better. How do you think he'll respond to the end of 
I think he'll respond great. We all know what he stands for. You know, we, he's a stand-up guy. He'll take responsibility. We all know that it's not all the quarter. When things go bad, we, we know it's very complex. Um, but what I love about Jacoby is he takes ownership for his part. Franco, similar question. Um, it's not from you guys, but there's always speculation on this side of the microphone about quarterbacks and that kind of thing. Jacoby, how does he process that, do you think? I don't know if you talk about it, but just, just from knowing him, I didn't think he... Yeah, I mean, we didn't. Yeah, no, great question. And we, you know, when I talked to him the other day, we really didn't go there. You know, I mean, it's everybody, every player in this league knows there's very few players that have the luxury of saying, I'm a lock 24 7. I don't have to ever worry about job security. That's a luxury in this league that not very many people have. So, um, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. It's the unwritten, it's the unspoken truth that we all know exists. And you, you're a man about it. You welcome the competition, and let's get better. Yeah, I look for five things. I look for toughness, mental and physical toughness. I look for um, accelerated vision. That's another fancy, that's, that's my definition or my word for how fast do you think on your feet. Um, I look for accuracy. You have, to be, uh, you have to be really accurate in this league. The windows are small. You have to look for good feet. Is, any sport is played from the ground. Most sports are played from the ground up. So as a quarterback, that's really important how you play this game with your feet. And then the last thing is you look for the intangibles, the leadership. The, are, you, are you the playmaker in the big moments? Because of all that. Yeah, you have to be able to adapt. I mean, you know, I, I, and that, that's exciting. That's exciting to me. I don't look at myself, even though I've been in this league a long time, and I was a class, I, personally, I was a classic drop back passer. I never even thought about doing some of the things these guys do today, but um, that's why we have the staff that we have to stay in front of it, be creative, keep looking at what fits, what doesn't fit. Um, you can't do everything. You just can't be a copycat league, but there are certain things that fit our personnel that we got to stay in front of. Because of your, the five things you talked about in the quarterback position and intangibles, is that maybe why there's more misses at the position, high-profile misses in the first round? Um, yeah, I, th I, th I think the misses come from exactly what you're saying, Chap. I think they come from the intangibles, and I think they come from the processing. You know, I, I think it's one of the tricks of the trade is, I think, how, how do you figure out? I mean, we can. there's a lot of things you can test right here physically, but... How do you test how fast a guy thinks, the cog somebody's cognitive ability? And uh, that's, to me, an exciting aspect. There's a lot of new things out there around that, but I think that's, that's where the two biggest areas where the misses come from. So in a great locker room, Chris is talking about friction now. How do you get there with the guys coming? Yeah, um, you know, friction, yeah, Chris made a big deal about that. I, I think that's all. That's competition. You know, that, that's... That's getting guys who have that competitive spirit who status quo is not good enough. And we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to fight hard to get better. And um, so don't get in the way. And if you get in the way, we're not going to walk by that. We're going to call that out. So I think that's what we're talking about. I'm very excited for for Sean and the Bills, you know, obviously playing there for 10 years. I'm a huge Bills fan, even though they're in the AFC. But when it doesn't hurt the Colts, I root for the Bills. In particular, I think uh, very highly of Sean McDermott. Um, I think he's a class head coach. I think he's an excellent X and O guy. 
Um, I think he's a great leader. Uh, very happy to see what he's doing there in Buffalo. Yeah, just to get a better feel, you know, I, I have a, you know, there's a lot of guys I've looked at the tape, you know, meet some of them personally. The, you guys know how it works. The interviews are short, so I don't overweight those. You get a little information from those. You get a feel. I mean, we're doing some interviews last night, for instance, and I have my notepad there. and So we have an 18-minute interview with a guy, and I might write down, I'd say of the interviews we did, I wrote down on average probably five or six bullet point things with a guy. You know, like his body language, like how quickly he responded to that question. He didn't get defensive, uh, you know, things like that, just things you take notice of um, so that it reminds you when you go back and you're watching tape or you're talking to his coach or you're talking to somebody else, you, you add those all up. I mean, I think there's there's more tools out there today. Um, for me, you know, the one way I think that most old school coaches do it, I, I like to try to be a blend in the old and new. I like using the new technology and things like that, which I, you know, which I wouldn't want to go into. But, um, but then some of it is just watching film with a guy, and and you got to be able to ask the right questions. You got to be able to get the pace of the film session going so fast that he has to think quick on his feet. You have to plan those sessions out so that you can maximize and put his mind in a position that forces him to be challenged mentally. And I think if you do that for long enough, you can, you can get some idea. Exactly. That's why 18 minutes is not enough time. It's just not enough time. So when you really you know, dig down at other position, you know, it, it's important for every position. It's really important for quarterback. It's really important for offensive linemen you know, from the offensive side of the ball. It's important for all the other positions as well, but I think it's even more important in those two positions, and, and tight end as well. With all the cap space that you've got to work with, is it a reasonable expectation that the Colts will be more aggressive in free agency this year than you have You know, I mean, that would seem logical, but, uh, you know, Chris is really disciplined, and he's really patient, and I've really come to appreciate that. And we were just talking the other day, even in the last two years we've been together, we kind of recounted some scenarios over the last year, over the last two years of moves that we were thinking about making, didn't make, could have spent big money, didn't. I'm not going to go into what these were. And it turns out we were right not to chase it. I mean, there's two specific examples that I'm thinking of that we were, that guys that we thought this might be the guy, this might be that selected guy. We go down the road a little bit and then it just doesn't, something happens, it doesn't work out. And now we, two of those in two years, we look back at, and both of them ended up playing out better for us. We'll, 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 we'll keep it among us. Who would they be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris can share that with you if he wants to. Great question. I block those out of my mind. As well as names, by the way. Yeah. How Coach Frank Dover? Is that hard knowing? Okay, I know Chris has said. Yeah, no, as a, you're right. You're exactly right. As a head coach, you get measured by wins and losses. So from my perspective, it's like, just, hey, it doesn't matter. Just let's get through the next year. But that's where ownership comes into play. And every, time, every, every meeting with Mr. Ursay is don't deviate from the plan. 
We this we build from the draft. We build inside out. We're very selective and free. You know, he's willing to spend, but that doesn't mean just because we're willing to spend that you're reckless. So, um, you know, we have the support of ownership, and 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 I know that he's he's patient. You know, so as a coach, that gives me confidence to take the long approach as well. Um, you know, I'm o we're open. I'm open to different skill set. Um, I obviously love Eric's skill set. He's a dynamic player. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, the tight end's pretty, you know, pretty important in offense. We we love the tight ends. We have Jack Doyle's a great player. Mo Alley Cox is on the rise. I mean, so I mean, with those two guys alone, I feel very good about where we're headed. Um, you know, well, I haven't even dug into. You know, I talked about receivers and quarterbacks. I haven't really dug into the tight ends yet to really uh, spend plenty of time on them. But that's a pretty for us. That's a pretty important position. Last one here. I mean, Indy's pro it's a proven commodity. You know, we've, we've been winners with the Combine. We've been winners with the Super Bowl, right? I mean, so we know how to – Indianapolis knows how to do it. We know how, to, we know how to put together a national event. We know how to do it with class. we got the right leaders in place to do it. And we're undefeated, so bring it on.